You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Welcome to MND Matters, brought to you by the MND Association. Alongside members of the MND community, including people affected by the disease, health and social care professionals and supporters, we'll be bringing you stories, information and expertise direct to your ears. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. I'm Becky and I work in the regional care team. And I'm Steph, I work in the fundraising team. This episode is all about grief and bereavement, but from the perspective of what you learn about yourself through the difficulties of navigating M&D and loss. We're delighted today to be joined by Matthew and Natalie. Matthew lost his dad to M&D when he was just 12 and he's in his 30s now and he's yeah. actually the age his dad was when he sadly died from M&D. And Natalie lost her dad last year to M&D, but has been relentlessly and tirelessly fundraising for us ever since she heard about her dad, dad's diagnosis. The episode today is quite a heavy one, but it's also an uplifting one. But if you're affected by anything that you hear us talking about or anything of the topics that are raised, then please do check out the links that we're going to include in the subject of the description of this podcast. But also we have our M&D Connect helpline that's always available for you to talk to. And our website has got lots of support around bereavement, loss, M&D, and also links to the tribute fund that we mentioned and also some support for young carers. Okay, so Natalie, could you just talk to us about your experiences with MND? Uh, So for me, um, years ago when I was at university, my grandpa died and he actually had MND. At the time, he only found out the day he died, so I didn't know he'd got it. It was back when you know, the knowledge around MND was was far, you know, less prolific, I suppose. So, but it was, what was lovely was he had all of us with him as he went and the last voices he heard were his wife, my my dad, the grandchildren. So it was as peaceful a passing, I suppose, as you could get. And obviously now I realise that, you know, he had MND, but I didn't really know what that was going to be like. And so fast forward to 2018 and my dad came to visit me and had done a visit to my sister a visit to to me within the same weekend to say I've got some news it's not great I've got motor neurone disease and we were just floored he'd retired in the January he had plans to set up a little photography business in this in Snowdonia doing landscapes and obviously this was going to change everything so I think um that was when I was at my worst in a way because I think I grieved then for what was to come because I knew now what MND was and that there is no real happy ending so I had a few weeks off work where I was just properly shell-shocked couldn't quite get my head around it and um, I then learned to live with the fact that my dad had a terminal diagnosis and that the clock was ticking um, and for the first few months I think you sort of think oh you know everything seems normal and you know and then then you'd see him and he had a stick and then you'd see him and he his voice was starting to change and that you know so I could I knew things were happening and then um he died in just a year ago July 2020 and so he has inspired me to do various fundraising activities and events that involve running cycling and um, walking you know uh, I my, my motto my mantra is I have a body that works and I'm going to use it so I, it's made me realize that that's not a privilege given to everybody um, and MND certainly opens your eyes to that so for as long as I can I'm just going to keep using my body to do as much good work for MNDA as I can um, and help sort of um, promote what you do and make sure people know that you're there so you know if ever MND comes into their lives then you are the people to talk to so 
it sounds like you're not giving yourself any space to rest you'll just keep <laughs> going doing absolutely everything you can I mean I'm so sorry to hear about um you know your dad and your, and your granddad but it's amazing what you've gone on to do for the association since then and we're just really grateful to you thank you and Matthew do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself um a bit about me so I was um 12 when my, my dad died uh, of MND. He was uh, the same age I am now when he died, so he was 31. Um, so relatively relatively young, um, I think, in terms of kind of diagnosing and, and actually passing. Um, and it was a slightly strange one for us, really. So my dad, um, similarly to, to what Natalie said, started dropping things, uh, dropping lemonade bottles and whatnot. And it was um, a fairly long process of uh, understanding what was going on. And actually, strangely, no one actually ever told me or my me or my siblings, I guess, what was what was going on. It was just a case of, well, your dad's not very well, you know, and he's um, going to have to go through a few tests and a, um, a bit of treatment. Um, and similarly, he actually never told us either. He was very uh, anti kind of saying he's unwell or, or I guess really uh, acknowledging that anything was wrong, really. And that was kind of his general approach. He refused um, or help, didn't want anything, you know, kind of leave me to it. I'll, um, I'll get stuck in any. He, he had a very strong faith that he would be he would be OK um, and everything would um, yeah, find its way as it should. Um, um, I mean, I was 10, 9 slash 10 uh, when my mom told me kind of, you know, that's not very well. And then I was uh, 12 when he died. He died September 11th, 2002. So a very significant date uh, for, for for most people with the, the Twin Towers. Um, and for me, really, it was kind of the journey after that, whereby it all started coming together because I was at an age whereby maturity levels, I don't really understand, you know, kind of, um, I guess, illness and, and especially things like MND. Um, and I guess the the journey that I've gone since then was been really about understanding and uh, I guess going through and building a picture to actually what he went through, you know, because most of our lives are sculpted by our parents, our family. We look at, you know, the, the experiences they've had and uh, we base our journey on that. Um, and for me, it was really strange because my journey was leading towards a, a set end date. You know, I, I knew my, my dad only got to 31, you know, and for me, it was always uh, a case of, being petrified uh, the same was going to happen to me um but also being in a position whereby I didn't know what came past that point you know like for, for me I'd looked at my dad and the journey he'd gone through and I'd seen so clearly uh, how he'd developed and progressed and you know the steps he'd taken but for me it was kind of the journey of the unknown you know it was actually quite a relief getting into my 30s not a lot of people say that but it was like right one more bloody year and I could be done you know and I can finally just you know kind of know what's beyond that point and I think over the last 12 months I've really uh, been an advocate around mental health and driving that message of especially for guys you know in general you know really just kind of speaking out and going look like um, we all have our demons so to speak and I guess being a bit more open and talking about it um, I think my family will be really shocked that I'm openly talking about my feelings, emotions, talking about MND, they'll be like, what's happened to Matt? Uh, they'll probably call an intervention thinking something's gone massively wrong. But, um, you know, I think it's I'm at a point whereby I think it's really important to to have that voice. And, you know, I think it'd be good to kind of get some of that through through today. Yeah, I think it'll be amazing. And especially um, you've hit on such an important uh, message there about, especially for men, it's so hard for men to talk about mental health and grief and bereavement is so complex anyway and then you add the layer of MND to be able to talk about grief MND and mental health I think is 
I think it's amazing that you're choosing to come and do this and, and talk with us, Matthew, um, about that. Because, Natalie, it's amazing that um, instead of being, I know you said you had to take a bit of time off work to to sort of accept and come to terms with what was happening. I think it's amazing that you're just, you're being really relentless with your fundraising and that's what's powering you through. Yeah, I think there's been, there's basically been three fundraising sort of events that I've done um, since my dad's been diagnosed and since he's died. Um the first one was um, COVID hit, obviously, in the March of 2020. That meant that my dad had to, you know, self-isolate. Um, I couldn't see him. He couldn't perhaps get as much support as he would need as MND was taking hold. So he was struggling on and not in a great place. You know, I felt guilty that my dad was dying and I couldn't go and see him as often, you know, when I couldn't see him full stop. I was trying to think outside the box, what can I do to engage with my dad, to give him some new memories while he's stuck in his house? It evolved into an idea that I was 42 in June, I'll stick a zero on the end and just do 420 miles. So I just went up to my dad, sat in his garden the first time I saw him since Christmas in in the end of May. And I just told him my plans and he just shook his head, smiled and went, you know, of course you are, that's totally you, you know. It's going to be really great fun and I can't wait to see all about it. So off I went. And so it just started with, right, I'll take the children to school and back on my bike. So each day I was doing about 15 miles because I was going the long way home when they weren't with me. And then I would do a bike ride in the evening and I started to mix things up and go, oh, I'll do the allotments of Cheltenham or I'll do the parks of Cheltenham. I started to theme it so I had a reason to go somewhere and take photos along the way so I could do an update on Facebook each day with, you know, a bit of a, a photo diary. And so my dad loved it. And then in, in each post, I also had an MND fact of the day that I borrowed from your infographic on your website. Um, I also had my dad's song of the day. So I got him to make me a playlist, or, you know, of all his favourite songs. So each day I'd put the link to the, you know, the video so people could like reminisce and li- listen to some cool 70s rock, which was his fave. Um, and so, yeah, these like posts grew and then they'd obviously have the Just Giving link and it snowballed. So over the month of June, I basically hit my target of 420 miles in less than two weeks. So then I went to his age, 68, put a zero on the end, 680 miles. And then I hit that. So I went, well, I round it off to a thousand miles. Then I hit that. And then I thought, well, this is just silly now. What can I, how can I, where do I go? So I just went, well, my age and his age together make a, I don't know, what was it, 68 and 42 make 110. I'll do 1,110 miles. And I ended up going over that, but I just thought I'll keep going to the end. I did a 42-mile bike ride on my 42nd birthday with my sister, Melissa, in tow. Dad loved that because he could see his two girls together with the full MNDA vests. We had orange lipstick. We had blue nails. You know, we put bunting on our bikes, balloons. You know, we totally embraced the brand of MNDA and made sure that everybody, if they'd not heard of MNDA, they now know at least it was blue and orange and asked Natalie and she can tell you all about it. So that was my first thing and it was incredible. So the, and as I did the bike ride, I was taking photos of people I met and I was doing cycle buys, people who were stuck in their house. I'd go to their house, end of the drive, photo with them and, you know, me in the foreground. And I just said, the only photo that's missing is one with my dad. So I actually drove my bike up to his house, went into the back garden and did like a photo, you know, of him in his house, me and my bike out the front. And then sadly, within the next two weeks, he declined. He um, ended up going into hospital um, with pneumonia. 
and I knew that that would not be a good outcome. So he had a week in hospital, sadly, with no visitors. So I knew it was a really tough time for him. We knew he was not in a great place. We were able to, that's the one good thing with um, COVID, we were allowed to do a Zoom call on an iPad and a nurse would hold it to his face so we could wave at him, but he wasn't really able to communicate very clearly. And we could just tell from his eyes that he was really unhappy and not not in a great place. So I just said to them, you know, um, my dad needs to know that um, if he's had enough, that he's got our blessing, but we will be with him. He doesn't have to be on his own or worry, you know, because he was too poorly to go um, to a hospice, too poorly to come home, too poorly to go anywhere. So um, we made it very clear that as difficult as that was for me to say, to hear myself say, if dad's had enough, he can go, but let him know we'll be coming in. And that's what happened. So um, we, my sister and I and his wife were able to be with him. I mean, it's so fortuitous because I know th over 50,000 people at that time had died alone in hospital. And we were really one of the lucky ones because although we were in the full PPE and it was a hot, hot day, the minute we walked in that room and he saw us, I could just see the relief. He just he was at peace. You know, I look back at how it could have gone and he could have died alone, you know, without us there. But actually he was there with us. We all held his hands. We were able to reminisce about our childhood and say how great a dad he was and all the great adventures we'd been on together and everything. So we were with him um, as he went. And um, yeah, I can't thank the NHS enough really for the support that he gave. And obviously the MNDA, you know, the support, the MND nurse, you know, leading up to that time. So that was July of last year. Um, and then since then, I got involved with Rob Burrow 7 in 7. So in January this year, I decided to take advantage of that challenge. And being as I didn't know whether to walk, run or cycle, I just thought I'd do them all. So I did a seven mile walk, run, cycle every day for seven days. Just recently, um, to celebrate the year anniversary of him having died, rather than it be a day that we dreaded and one that we just wanted to sort of ignore and wake up the following day my sister actually said I now want to get involved and do something significant with you a challenge together the two sisters so she came up with the idea and I just tagged along for the ride um, literally and what we decided was to cycle from our dad's house in Staffordshire um, to his ashes which are at Snowdon um, um, on the shoreline of um, Lynn Padan and Lamberis to, to basically go to dad and then to cycle back home again. So a round trip. So by this point, we have invested in a slightly better bike each. Dad had said, make sure you get a good bike because, you know, our bikes, my bike was great and it's very sentimental, but it's not not the greatest for the distance we were looking at. So we bought a good road bike. We had stickers put on with our dad's nickname, Bobster. Um, he was Bob, but his photography nickname was Bobster. So we've got Bobster stickers on our bikes. So if it was getting tough and obviously the Snowdonia, the hills are tough, we'd look down at that crossbar and you'd see his name. And all we said to ourselves was no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much you're struggling to breathe, it'll never be as hard as anyone living with MND. So you can keep those feet pedaling and you can get to the top and you can get your breath back. And, you know, people with MND would do would would love nothing more than to be able to be able to do what we're doing. So so, uh, yeah, he totally inspired us all the way around. And it is inspiring for, for me, for my children to see that I'm leading a healthy, active lifestyle and that um, this definitely has helped me. You don't get over losing someone, but learning to live with the loss. This has definitely been my 
medication you know people choose lots of different ways and it's very unique there's no right or wrong and this wouldn't work for everybody but for me it's definitely worked Wow, that's amazing, Natalie. Honestly, incredible. It's amazing to hear how passionate you are about about all aspects of it, you know, the cycling, the fundraising, but mostly, as you say, the driving forces to keep your dad's memory alive and, and you know, and, and spend time presumably, you know, with, with people like your sister, with close yeah. family to reminisce together, which is which is really lovely. Um, you know, and it's it's so nice that your dad got to see some of the things that you got to do and I don't doubt that he would have known what you would have gone yeah. on to do knowing you very yeah. well if he we, when we were cycling out of Lamberis up towards Penny Pass so anyone who's been into Snowdonia knows that's a fair old hill we cycled up there and the sun was it was glorious and it just felt like he knew and that he was sort of pulling us up that hill and like saying come on girls I've got you back you know and we, we were safe our family were very worried about being on the roads as all families would about their children but um it just felt like we were invincible <laughs> it was really weird we got to the top and I just said it's like he's actually pulling us up this hill towards him and we even stopped at his favorite roadside cafe for a bacon sandwich because that's where he would have gone and it just felt we hadn't planned for that to happen but all these little moments were just like oh it's like he you know he dad can you see us now we're sat in you know cafe whatever it's called you know having a bacon sandwich and you brought us here and yeah well, well done and it, yeah it really is so inspiring to hear you talk about it and I know Matthew that Natalie's talked a bit about that sort of her driving force for doing what she does and I know you touched earlier upon your you know open conversations that you want to have about mental health and how important that is to you be good to hear a bit more about why why you want to do that and what your driving force behind that is really um, yeah, so again, like my um, my journey's been really rocky, to be honest, with regards to the, the process of, I guess, going through that grieving process. It took me uh, an exceptionally long time. And I mean, if I kind of look back to, I mean, I was 12 when my dad died, kind of a fairly significant age just before kind of hitting those teenage years. Um, and I love my dad a bit, you know, he was literally my... Um, yeah, I adore him beyond levels. You know, I just probably couldn't really go into into words just to, to how much. You know, but I just couldn't um, accept the fact that he wasn't here anymore. You know, and it was, it was really tough for me to to drive through that. <clears throat> and um, for me, my um, acceptance of that really just led me into a bit of a downward spiral. Um, you know, I was bullied at school quite quite heavily. Um, this became another uh, topic point to get bullied about, um, which was tough at, at, at that age. Um, and that just led me to a point of just being angry, you know, kind of angry all the time, you know, and um, to the point, you know, as I got older, I would, um, you know, I'd go out running and I'd punch every lamppost I went past, you know, and, uh, and you know, I'd be in hospital every other week with broken hands, broken, you know, knuckles, whatnot. And I was just really struggling to overcome that. It doesn't matter what um, what went on, who kind of sat you down, had a chat with you. Um, it was just really tough and and all of us as a family strangely kind of isolated away from having that chat and it wasn't intentional it was just more I don't want to talk about it no one else wanted to talk about it and no one really knew how to everyone was you know in that grief process no one really knew how to or what do we do now you know it's kind of a uncharted territory and I, I remember this distinct feeling of everyone feeling a bit sorry for me. It kind of felt like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I feel really sorry for you. And I was like, well, that's not really helping. But, you know, it's, I guess it's good in some sense, but it's no help to me whatsoever. 
I eventually got into kickboxing, um, started doing kickboxing fairly, fairly early on. Um, as a little chubby 12 year old, it was probably the best thing for me to do, to be honest. Um, and I started doing kickboxing and my, uh, my, my coach was really key in um, putting me on the straight and narrow, really, with regards to just showing me, giving me a bit of a role model, probably the, the best terminology. And I think also giving me an understanding of, um, I guess, right and wrong. I didn't really have that. Um, you know, my mom's absolutely fantastic. You know, I think she's testament that to, you know, moms can be dads too, you know, and I think she's a real good testament to that. But reality was, I just wasn't scared of my mom, you know, at all. She, my mom could say to me, Matt, no, don't do that. And I'd go, you're not going to do anything. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just wouldn't really bother me. My coach enabled me to, uh, I guess, harness some of that uh, negative energy in a positive way. Um, but it just wasn't enough. You know, I think initially in reality, I'd started doing it because I quite liked getting hurt. Um, you know, and that was the one thing that made me feel some somewhat of maybe what my dad would have gone through. But um, I didn't have the understanding of what he went through. But getting hurt and being pushed to the the boundaries was, I guess, to an extent, almost a form of, of self-harm. You know, it didn't bother me. I wasn't bothered what would happen to me. I wasn't bothered how much I got hurt. Um, because reality was it still didn't take away how much I, how much I hurt for the fact he wasn't here. I, I remember probably I was maybe mid-20s. Uh, I went to the cemetery. I thought, right, I'm going to go to the cemetery. Everyone says to me, this is the thing to do. Go to the cemetery and, you know, do your thing. Um, and I couldn't find his grave. Um, and I remember feeling um, just awful. You know, I remember literally being in tears in the cemetery, just like feeling so bad that I am... Um, I couldn't find where 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 he was um and that hit me really in, in a place that I didn't think it would um at that stage because I just thought you, you've really let yourself down and that for me was the first kick of you know you're not doing the right thing something's not working for you but I just didn't really know um uh what that was and then a few years after that, again, I thought, you know what? I don't want to go down that path. Uh, it's too upsetting. I don't want to be in a cemetery crying, not being asked for my dad's grave. Um, pull it back in the locker. Uh, you'll come back to it another day, you know. And um, reality was, it's just, it's et away at me my, my my whole life, you know. And it, it's, it's led me down roads I probably naturally wouldn't have gone down. Um, and I got to the point probably about four year, three, four years ago now, roughly, Um really successful job in London, working really hard. But when I look back, it was another way of me just running away. You know, it was a real easy route, move to London, just get further and further away from it. It still didn't enable me to be happy because my dad wasn't here, you know. I, I couldn't compute why that was, you know, what, why I was really struggling to um, to come to terms with that. And I think the age thing was really, really, um, really key. You know, I was so young when he died. And I wasn't mature enough just yet to really understand what had gone on. And equally, I think there was a hesitation for me to even explore um, completely what had gone on. Um, and anyway, fast forward uh, maybe uh, five years, six years after being in London. Um, and I was at work, um, very busy environment I'd work in. I was working all hours under the sun. Um, and I've always been a bit of a workaholic anyway, probably too much so, and I'll just work, work, work. And I started passing out um, at work really randomly and just everywhere, really. I just randomly pass out, um, which obviously isn't ideal uh, when you're kind of commuting through London at any given time. And then I, I started getting uh, really bad tremors in my hands. Uh, and I was like, my immediate reaction was, 
oh god please don't tell me you know that i'm going down the same route and I immediately thought worst case scenario um and it turns out i was just really um i started panic attacks really really bad panic attacks um and i was it was really strange for me because I'd always been that individual when someone goes, well, I'm having a panic attack or anxiety. My, my immediate reaction would always be get a grip. For around about three months, I was having these. Um, and I remember I was just like, right, classic me, you'll get over it. Keep keep doing what you're doing. They'll go away. Pull it in the locker, it'll go away. And it didn't. Um, and I remember thinking, well, what do I do now? You know, what's my, what's my best route to go down? Um, and I thought I'm not going to doctors because I just avoid doctors at all costs. Uh, I thought I'm not going to doctors to talk about it. And then stranger actually hurt my hand boxing. And I was like, oh, my hand is really playing me up boxing. And it, it just kept um, kept causing me a lot of grief. And that's the one thing I would go to the doctors for. So I was like, right, I've hurt my hand. I'm going to doctors. Uh, and I, at the time, I had this really bad tremor in my hand as well. I just wasn't really uh, I wasn't where I needed to be, you know. I, I could tell I didn't feel well. I, I felt really rubbish. I looked uh, really unwell. I'd lost a lot of weight, um, and I went to doctors. And the doctor was um, asked me while I was there, you know, went through the usual spiel, uh, and I was like, you know, my hand, you know, it's really hurting. And I keep punching, and it and it catches in a really bad position. Uh, and he was like, no, I mean, what's wrong with your other hand? You know, the hand that's you, you're shaking, you know, are you OK? Uh, and I remember that it could almost it couldn't have been planned any 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 better. And at that point, it was like lights out, passed out. Um, and I was like, oh, Lord. And the doctor, you know, after that was like, you know, look, talk to me, you know, what's going on? You know, comments, everything. And I remember just being in the, in the doctors and I literally just uncontrollably couldn't stop crying. Um, and I told him he was like, you know, kind of what's brought this on and in real short terms he he's not the doctor's exact words but i'll i'll, I'll summarize in, in more layman's terms he was he was pretty much like you know you're literally one step away from having a nervous breakdown like you, you're at the point whereby if you don't stop now it's not going to end positively for you and i could feel it and it was only at that point that, that pause of actually stopping and going right pull yourself together what's going on you know and I, i'd reflected back i remember a few months before i was in brazil and I'd gone out to Brazil again on, on holiday on my own. And again, another way to escape, you know, just run away, just float around and go somewhere that's not here. And I, I remember I felt really, um, really bad then. I just felt always sad and just not in a good place. And I remember being in my hotel and I remember looking over the balcony and I remember looking and thinking it'd be so much easier if I just jumped off. And I remember at the time thinking, that's not good. That's not good to have that thought process. But I also remember having that understanding of going, something's not quite right here, Matt, you know, because I, I never had the intention to throw myself off the balcony, you know, and it, it wasn't down to, you know, going, right, I, I, I don't want to be here anymore. But it was a sheer thought process of thinking what you're feeling right now, you would, you would much prefer to not be here than be here and deal with what you're going through. And that for me was one of the first flags that kind of led to the, the downward spiral. And since then, you know, I've just been real. Um, I've lost a lot of friends to mental health issues um, for very varying reasons. Um, and the one thing everyone's always said to me um, in my life is, mate, you don't talk enough. You know, like, how are you feeling? You don't talk enough. And I've always been like, well, funny that because I don't want to. You know, I don't want to talk about how I feel. I don't want to open up that that locker and, and go through all of that. Um and then I did. I started um, focusing a bit more on mental health and focusing on, you know, actually the journey you go through in bereavement, because a lot of people, you know, I've had people say to me in the past, you know, Matt, it was 
you know, it's almost 20 years ago. Come on. Um, you know, or, you know, it's been this long now. You've got to start moving forwards. And I was like, I don't think you understand what, you know, forward steps when, you, when you're going through bereavement. It's not ones and twos, you know. It can be, it can take you two years to take one step, you know. And, and it can take you a long time to get to, you know, maybe the destination you've got to in, in half that time. And it's such an individualised experience that not enough attention is focused on the aftermath. It, you know, there's a lot of attention on during, before, you know, the brief period after, but not enough put on to actually, well, look, you're going to go through a bit of a rocky road, you know, and this is what it could look like. And and for me, the, the, the saving grace in, in it all really was, um, you know, when I had my son, my, my son's uh, almost two now, it was the first time I understood um, what my dad was going through um, because I, I'd always questioned, you know, like, why didn't you tell us, you know, like, why didn't you, there's so many things, so many whys that you just can't get the answer to. Um, and I'd always begrudge that to an extent. It, it was really challenging for me to comprehend quite what that was. And then my son was born and, you know, and I, I sit with him now, you know, and, and seeing him and it's, it makes sense to me, you know, because actually you become secondary. It's not about you anymore. You know, it's about, well, what do I need to do to keep you happy uh, and keep you in a place whereby you're, uh, you're in a good place. And that's kind of led me to, to hear now, really, really being passionate about talking openly that, look, you know, I think there's a stigma with mental health at times, that there's a set type of individual or background or, or whatever, you know, that, that people will go through. And for me, you know, I, I like to think I'm very successful in my work. I, I've been successful getting to where I am now. But you know what? Despite all of that, I've been broken. I've been through the real tough stuff. I still have times today where I don't feel 100%. And you know what? It's completely normal. And I think we should embrace that a bit more uh, and embrace the, the uncomfortable conversations that we have to have, but feel comfortable having them. Yeah, I completely agree. And that is such an amazing sort of uh, call to arms for people that might be in a similar position to you. But also you said a really good thing earlier where you said, like, grief is very individualised, isn't it? And like, everyone's experiences. And, and we've heard that through Natalie's experience as well. Very, very different and individual, just like MND affects everybody very individually. And um, so I think you being here and talking so openly um about difficult subjects but also about what you've come through the other side and how of a, a great space you're in now but also sometimes you know you're also not in a great space but what's amazing to hear is that you're not using that locker anymore you're actually yeah. talking about it like that metaphor you use but you're you're talking about it and also um it's wonderful that you've got this experience with your own son now so yeah you're, you're still like thinking about the questions of why but you understand the why now so that's closure again isn't it it's almost yeah. like and, um, and and you know what's really just to, to add one point onto that about the I guess not keeping it in your locker right so I said about going to the cemetery not being able to find um find my dad's grave uh, it was actually this year uh Christmas just gone uh I was I was up in Birmingham for for Christmas and I thought it just felt like the right time to go to the cemetery. You know, I've never really understood the cemetery piece of, of why people would go to the cemetery. I, I grasp the, the, the sentimental value and, and what that holds for people and the spiritual value 100 percent. But for me, I just couldn't relate until last year when I actually went and it all made sense to me, you know, and it all come together. And there was such a, an element of peace being where, although I know he's physically not there anymore, this is where he is, you know, it's where, where, where we said our goodbyes and, it held a lot of value to me in just 
yeah, keeping that lock, well, taking the locker door off. Let's not say keeping it open. I took the locker door off um, and just have been able to, I guess, um, take steps forward since then, which has been good. Amazing. I'll just go back to um, Matthew had mentioned, obviously, when he, you know, you've just you went finally got to visit your father's grave and, and how important that was for you. But Natalie, obviously, we didn't really touch on this before. It's in terms of obviously when your father died, this was during the pandemic. So obviously there was so many restrictions and limitations to funerals to what we would expect to be, um, you know, the, the normal part of the normal grieving process. How did that affect you and your family and what sort of situation were you were you left in at that time and how has it impacted you going forward? Um, I mean, I didn't have a hug after my dad died for over six months. That's not normal. I didn't sit on a friend's sofa and have a good old cry, and, you know, and just have them say, I'm here, you know. So you felt like you were sort of grieving on your own um, and yes I could phone my I don't live near any family so I could phone my mom or my sister um, and whatsapp video you know so I could see people but there's something about human touch you know that I think is very important and um, that's another reason why you know my dad being in hospital on his own for that week it, it, you know I'll, it, there'll definitely be issues that you know go around in my head forever because I know that even if someone's very unwell, just knowing someone's sat there holding your hand or just stroking your arm or whatever it is, it can make you feel better, you know? And um, I know the nurses would have done a great job, but, you know, they weren't able to do that. And even if they did, they had gloves on anyway, so it wasn't really skin on skin. So, um, but yeah, the impact on the funeral meant that we were limited on numbers. Um, we were fortunate that the, the 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 crematorium that we use had 30 because they were individual some people were lowering their numbers but 30 was the max so we managed to find one with 30 um but we had to we couldn't all go in the car together we had to wear masks in the car so crying with a mask on is really hard <laughs> um but what was lovely um was because i'd done this bike ride and my dad had given me his playlist i felt like when it came to music choices that I had, I knew all his music and I knew the lyrics inside and out because when you're on your bike for hours at a time, you literally get to know every, you know, word of every song. So when it came to us sitting down and discussing order of service and what song would he like, he'd made it very clear what his entrance music was, which for any sci-fi fans out there, he had the theme tune to Star Wars, which was, just made me smile because my dad, he loved, he loved a big blockbuster film and he loved sci-fi and he was very much like, you know, he didn't conform. <laughs> he liked to do what he wanted to do. So I just thought, well, good on your dad. It's a bit crazy, but it actually made us smile as we walked into what was going to be a really sad occasion. Um, but then when it came to the rest of the music, that was the only one he'd specified. And so when it came to making decisions, it, there were just some perfect pieces of music that I knew he loved and the, the words were really appropriate. It was just perfect, really. So yeah, the restrictions were there it meant that in the wake as well we had to sit at tables and not not move around but me and my sister somehow managed to get to speak to people but in a in a covid secure friendly kind of way but you know one day we'll we'll get to do something where perhaps other people can come together to celebrate um his life of course and i think you are 
doing absolutely everything in your power to celebrate his life through all of your fundraising already but I do hope you get to do that with with everyone that you know mattered to him and then everyone that thought the world of him as well soon and I know obviously you've set up um, a tribute fund as well in memory of your dad and what does that mean to you like what do you get out of it and how do you hope that you'll you know carry on to to add funds to that tribute fund in, in the future? Um, I mean, my dad made the decision that when I did the bike ride, obviously he was alive. So I said to him, how do you want that money to be used by MNDA? And it was his decision. So everything I raise is what he wanted. And at that time, um, the money was shared equally between his local Cheshire branch of um, MNDA. And then also for MNDA to do research with, because obviously finding a cure is the the big thing that everybody wants and then also to help others living with MND so I know that my dad was given great advice had occupational therapist speech therapy voice bank recording there's so much support that you get through the charity that obviously that costs money so it's great to know that the money raise is going to where he wanted it to go to but the tribute fund basically gives us like a grand total like a running grand total I think it's in the 17,000 ish range at the moment the tribute fund does give you a place to just look at and reflect on all the good things that lots of people have done, not just me, but, you know, if anyone has ever given a pound to anything that we have done as a family, it's there in this sort of giant pot. And it just makes you think it's all worthwhile and that it will be helping other people. And you can, you know, light a candle for them virtually. You can send a message on their birthday virtually. I know that the charity, they acknowledge these significant dates as well. And, you know, for some people, this might be the way that they go to the cemetery or their last favourite place they used to go to. But you can do it from the comfort of your own home. So if you find that you haven't got transport or, you know, you, you, you're not able or you're not very well, you don't need to miss things. You know, there is a place to go, albeit it's on your laptop or on your phone or your device. So I found it really useful. And then also, if ever somebody said to me, oh, Natalie, I want to give you some money for MNDA, that's the, you know, you can give them the link to the tribute fund. So you haven't got to be doing a fundraising activity to be able to accept a donation. So, um, you know, it's it's great on lots of levels. And um, hopefully, you know, the words that Matthew and I are able to share might just, you know, resonate with someone somewhere and make them sort of um, think, oh, there is help out there for us, you know, and even if you go to MNDA as a first instance, you then will be able to signpost and refer to all the relevant agencies that can help them. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly what this whole episode of the podcast is about. So if anybody is there listening and feels that something Matthew or Natalie has said has resonated with them, and I'm sure it, I'm sure it will because it's two very different experiences of MND and the grief process but one where you're channeling all your energy into making sure people talk more and understand that grief is difficult and is different for everyone and the other where you're channeling it into fundraising to make sure that all the money when we eventually get that cure means that people don't have to go through the same experiences that um, we in the MND community have been through so um, thank you so much for giving up your time and coming and talking to us today and, and I hope that you've found it I mean, I've definitely found it as a, a cathartic experience listening to you. Um, I also have lost someone, my dad, to MND. So I personally feel like I've resonated with what both of you have said at certain points in this. And that's very special. And I hope that for yourselves, talking about it has also been uh, 
an enjoyable experience. I know it's a very hard subject and um, we will mention shortly all the support that's available if anyone's been affected by what you've covered. But you both talk about it in such a way that I hope our listeners also feel that it's, although it's a terrible thing to have happened, it's a positive experience that you're now having as a result. No, I, t- I totally agree that um, there's got to be some good that comes out of this and, you know, any condition that anybody gets, you know, it's like when you see these world disasters, there's always some good going on in and amongst the chaos, in and amongst the madness. And, um, you know, out of COVID, you've got the NHS and, you know, how wonderful the staff have been and the, you know, the, the vaccination programme and all that. And I just think, you know, when I think back to our situation, the one thing it's, I mean, I'd love my dad back, you know, at the drop of a hat, like I'm sure you guys would. I'd do anything to have one more chat, one more walk with him, one more, you know, anything. But I just think I've been reminded about how lucky I've been to have had a great dad. So it's because of my dad that we're having this chat today. It's because of this chat that I've met Matt and heard his story. And, you know, that I'm aware that, you know, grief is it's just so unique. And I think depending on when you when it happens to you, the impact is just so different. Um, but the key thing for me is talking and I don't struggle to talk. I love a good old chat. So, um, you know. I don't hold back from having a conversation with someone and I think um, sometimes you don't resolve the issue it's still there the same problem is there but you just feel a bit lighter for having shared it and knowing that someone sort of gets you. We've just got to sometimes put our pride to the side um, there's, there's no pride in feeling a set way or, or, or feeling sad or feeling down I think it's really important to I guess take the time to talk and, and one thing that I, I do um really strangely actually some people probably think I'm crazy at times but I talk to myself <laughs> and it's really bizarre right but just to talk out loud and you know even if you don't want to talk to you know your your family your friends whoever it is just talking things out loud and taking the time to go right you know how am I feeling you know and, and having taking that time to reflect is really important um self-reflection for me is really key to, to to any form of progression and I just think take the time you know you time five minutes ten minutes whatever you know do it in the shower do it while you're brushing your teeth whatever that routine needs to be to to ask yourself where where you're at today you know what that start point looks like for you you know but also have an understanding that you know the the, the journey from a to b to c We'll have different end results for everyone you know what do you where do you want to be at point b and where do you want to be at point c combining that with things that make you feel better is really important i know for for me i, I went for a period of time whereby it was easier just to sit on the sofa and not move um not literally but you know kind of just do nothing and really isolate myself um i think it's important to to embrace the things that make you feel better um you know and i think if it's a case of you know, whether it's a gym routine or music or whatever it is, no one's going to say it's going to make you get any easier. But one thing it will through that repetition of doing the small things and focusing on those little small details, eventually it will build up and, and lead you to a position whereby you won't even know it until it hits you square in the face to actually, well, hang on, I've gone a day without thinking about this or I've gone two days or I've gone a week. Um, and I think that's really important just to acknowledge when you're at that point and understand that there's more than one avenue uh, that you can take to get to that place of feeling fulfilled. So there we go. Thank you both. Honestly, it's been so inspiring to hear from both of you. It 
it has honestly been amazing. It, I could have just sat here and listened. We, I didn't even want to ask any questions. I just wanted <laughs> you both to carry on talking. You were just you just both been so open. I think that's what's been absolutely remarkable about this. And just thank you for it's so brave to be that open. And and you really have. I feel like you haven't held anything back either of you. So it is going to be so beneficial for people in have been in similar situations because they are hearing the truth and really how this has affected you and how you've learned to deal with what you've been through and continuing you know it's a it's an ongoing process and I think that really came across as well I just think you know open conversations are so powerful and just thank you so much for doing that yeah I completely agree thank you both so much for sharing your experiences with us and the MND community you've been listening to MND Matters a podcast from the MND Association Find more information at mndassociation.org and if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808-802-6262 or email mndconnect at mndassociation.org.